Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, or She-Cup. All right. Are you ready to talk about some Dragon Age? I am. You didn't do the thing. What thing? Our thing, where you said, are you ready to talk about some Dragon Age? I'm always ready to talk about some Dragon Age. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that was our thing. We haven't said that forever. Yeah, but you don't remember that was like a hallmark of our early podcast. The hallmark of our show? I don't think that's right. Yeah, we started. I mean, that's why Genesis and Bravada did it on their takeover. I mean, I know that is something that we used to say. I just don't know if I agree that it's the hallmark of our show. We don't. So we haven't said it in forever. Oh, whose fault is that? Yours. You're the one that introduces the show. Okay, whatever. Anyway, are you ready to talk about some Dragon Age? always so what are we talking about today (laughs) today um we normally do a character deep dive after patron chats but i just wanted to continue our creature series so here we are we're talking about another creature i feel like the ones we've done so far including this one like these are the big three when you think about creatures in thetis like you've got mabari nugs and hala So we are talking about Hala today. And if you are not familiar or you don't remember, Hala are like the elven deer creature. I love a good Hala. Yeah. You know, they, but they ain't no Hala back girl. I literally hate you. (laughs) Got him! (laughs) Anyway, I'm just going to ignore that. So Hala are basically like white-tailed deer of Thetis. They have a horns, like horns coming out of their head, um, but they're historically associated with the Dalish. Um, I'll get into more about that connection with the Dalish later, um, but we will talk about it extensively. Also, Elven Legend says that Ahala is who leads elves into the afterlife. Interesting. And then my last fun fact, I didn't have very many about Hala today. The constellation Equinor in Dragon Age Inquisition is said to represent a horse. But according to a codex entry, elves and scholars within Thetis think that the original image of the constellation was of a Hala. Interesting. Very much. The elves came from another land, right? Like, they're not indigenous to Thetis. We don't really know. I just think it would be interesting, because we know the Kunari and the humans are not indigenous to Thetis. 
Yes, that's correct. I think, I don't know if we know Elven origins. We just know that Arlathan and Elvenon, the Elven city and country, existed in Thetis long before humans um, and Kunari showed up. So I don't think we really know where elves came from. We've just made the assumption that they've always been in Thetis. Right. It's just more things of like, you know, the constellation, uh, obviously like Equinor, like like equestrian and all that stuff is related to that where you can see that in its spelling. So horse makes sense, but it also makes sense that like after the exalted march on the Dales, like Orlay and all of them would not want to be associated with anything elven. Very much. So are you ready to talk about their history and appearance? So I think that Hala are probably most known in the lore for being herded by the Dalish. Now, most clans have their own herd of Hala that follow them around. And so the Dalish herd them and they're used primarily to pull the Dalish Arabels, which if you remember, they're often referred to as land ships. And it's very much a kind of transportation for the Dalish. If you want to know what one looks like, go to the Exalted Plains in Dragon Age Inquisition. Go visit the Dalish clan there and they have one in their little encampment. So you can go look at one. Now, I think it's important to talk about Dalish don't view the Hala the way we would look at a horse or a donkey or a cow or anything like that. They are not just cattle. They're not just what we sometimes call beasts of burden. Like they don't just pull the Arabels. Um, they instead, the Dalish see them as companions almost and especially noble companions. So before the Hala began to accompany a clan, it's said that the Dalish ask them to join the clan and they don't force them to join the clan. So I guess technically the Hala could say no to joining a clan. I don't know if that's ever happened. Um, I don't know if we know that if that's ever happened, but technically that is what the lore says. I see which is, yeah, which is really interesting because this is really kind of one of the first like pieces of lore that we've gotten that really like big time connects the Dalish like to the earth and the land and nature. I mean, we've always assumed that because they're nomads, they have a very like nature aesthetic. They don't wear shoes, you know, all of these things around that. And so but this is really the first thing of like a philosophy or theology around something in nature or a creature, seeing a creature as something that is sentient, as something that is as valued as they are. Um, yeah. Which I think really the only closest comparison would be Ferelden and the Mavari. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also, what I think is interesting about it is that they have so much value on the Hala, which is a typically nomadic herd animal. Um, it's an animal that very much mirrors the Dalish, not necessarily in terms of like oppression in those ways, but because the Dalish have to move around because they have to be nomadic because of their treatment by the humans, 
it very much mirrors the way that Hala exists in the wild. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a coincidence. Uh, maybe it, it probably was not intentional the way that that developed, but it is interesting. So let's talk about some uses for the Hala. So obviously I've already talked about how they pull the Aravels. That's a major use of them. But they also, um, there are some other uses throughout Thetis. So not all of these are specific to the elves. So first of all, obviously you could probably guess that Hala milk is used to make cheese and butter. Um, and then hollow horns are used by the Dalish, like for decorative purposes. And I assume that that would be like from hollow who have died or horns that have fallen off or things like that. Not that they would harvest horns from living hollow. That does not really track with the lore to me. But in addition, antlers, hala antlers and horns are particularly prized. Of course, you could probably guess this by Tevinter. They use them in magic. Um, and so I would assume that there was a hala horn industry that Tevinter probably started after they uh, conquered the elves, if I just had to guess. Um, that's not necessarily verified in the lore, but just just from my knowledge of other lore topics and the way that Tevinter has behaved, that would be my guess. And then the last use of anything that the Hala produce is about Hala wool. And this one is the most interesting to me. And so they talk about Hala wool as being spectacular. It's soft and it's smooth at the same time, but the gaps in the weave of it are so small that it's extra protective and it doesn't catch on anything and it feels very cool and breezy in the summer and warm and protective in the winter. To me, this reminds me so much of Mithril from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I definitely um, see that. And I believe, no, it's not. There's a different cloth that is like the silverite equivalent that lets you um, wear across different classes. So each material, cloth, leather, and uh, or metal, all have a certain tier three uh, material that lets you remove class restrictions from a piece of armor. It is a weave, but it's not hala. Yeah. Um, it's snow fur, whatever. Snow fur skin. Yeah. But so, no, that's the leather. That's the leather. There's a cloth. Uh, loden wool, Dalish Dales. Loden wool. wool. Yeah. So I don't. I don't. I don't know if that's made from Hala. I would assume it's not just right. based on the name, but I don't know. But it gives like more than just like, so Mobari are like extremely intelligent and Nugs are just Nugs. But this gives almost kind of like a, ma a mystical element to the Hala in that like their wool is so like, powerful and protective and i do think they are a mystical creature and i'll get into that more about that in just a few minutes actually but i am just really laughing at nugs are just nugs but no seriously in the lore nugs are like a powerhouse like if 
if we talk about mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell, nugs are the powerhouse of the deep roads. Like they do so many things. They can digest a metal. Like that's crazy yeah. to me. I'm not, I'm not over it. I will never be over that. Anyway. I thought deep mushrooms were the powerhouse of the deep roads. No, it's nugs. Really? Because those things are everywhere. It's nugs. Okay. I stand by my statement. Okay. So before we talk about Hala and the elves, we have to talk about an elven god. And you might be surprised. You probably are not surprised. But this is the goddess Gilanon. So she is unique among the Evanuris, and I don't mean to spend so much time talking about Elven God in the Hala episode, but we just, we just have to do it. So the reason why she's unique among the Evanuris is because she wasn't born an Elven God. She became an Elven God. So before she became an Elven God, Gilanon was a very beautiful elf woman who had white hair, of course. She worshipped Andriel and kept the ways of Andriel, another Elven God. Andriel also favored her because of this. And so from this point, there's a little bit of a, a conflicting story among the codex entries. But some of the codex entries say that she created, and by she, I mean Gilanon, created many kinds of animals. And that the Hala were among them. And the gods were then impressed and gave her godhood because of her accomplishments. Other codex entries claim that she had an encounter with a hunter who captured her and tied her up. And then Gilanon called upon the gods to save her. And then they turned Gilanon into the first Hala. Either way, regardless of which origin story is true, Gilanon is intimately connected to the Hala. Now, I want to read from two different codex entries that tell the story differently. So this is from the Ascension of Gilanon, and it's from Dragon Age Inquisition. This is what it says. Gilanon used her power to create animals that none had ever seen. The skies teemed with her monsters, the land with her beasts. Andriel hunted them all, and after a year of killing, approached Gilanon with an offer. The gods would share their power with Gilanon, but only if she destroyed her creations, for they were far too untamed to remain among the people. Gilanon agreed and asked for three days to undo what she had made. On the third day, she killed the beasts of the land, except the Hala, whose grace she loved above all else. This is how Gilanon was made the youngest of the gods. End quote. Now, the second codex entry is Gilanon, mother of the Hala. And this codex entry is found in both Dragon Age Inquisition and Dragon Age Origins. Same text in both games. And this is the quote I've pulled. Gilanon followed the hunter. And when they were away from all of her sisters, the hunter turned on Gilanon. He blinded her first and then bound her as one would bind a fresh kill from the hunt. But because he was cursed, the hunter could not kill her. 
Instead, he left her for dead in the forest. And Gilanon prayed to the gods for help. She prayed to Elgernon for vengeance, to Mother Methal to protect her. But above all, she prayed to Andriel. Andriel sent her hairs to Gilanon, and they chewed through the ropes that bound her. But Gilanon was still wounded and blind and could not find her way home. So Andriel turned her into a beautiful white deer, the first Hala. And Gilanon found her way back to her sisters and led them to the hunter who was brought to justice. And since that day, the Hala have guided the people and have never led us astray, for they listen to the voice of Gilanon, end quote. What are your thoughts? I think that if you ask two different elven companions, which one they think is true, they're each going to pick a different one. I think that Solus is probably going to lean towards the first story being true because of his statement that the elven gods were just mages and bestowing magic and learning magic and learning to cultivate magic is much more in the realm of what would be possible. Um, but I think that Meryl will probably, mainly because she is Dalish, but would probably say she believes in the second one because very much in Dalish mythology, the the Evanuris and except for Fen Harrell, are protectors of the Dalish people. I mean, there is a little fear from Elgernon, but they guide and protect the Elven people. And so this story of creating the Hala, who they greatly rely on, I think the Dalish would cling to this story a lot more. It's interesting that you say that. I, I haven't really thought about it from an in-universe perspective. I thought about it from an out-of-universe perspective. And so the thing that's the most interesting to me is that the second Codex entry occurs in both Origins and Inquisition. To me, it sounds very much like an Origins Codex. And if, if, if the second one was just an Origins Codex and the first one that I read was an Inquisition Codex, I think that it would would very much be able to say, okay, well, they're kind of retconning this. The Ascension story is the one that they want to move forward with, especially given the the stories, the short stories into Venter Nights. There are a couple short stories where Grey Wardens, people go into the deep roads and they find some some horror, some horrific stuff. And there are, are elven mosaics down there of creatures that have like multiple creatures combined into one. Like they have the head of a hala, but the body of a griffin and they're monstrous. To me, that would suggest that those things came from Gilanon. So there's that. But at the same time, this second quote about the hunter doesn't just exist in origins. It exists in inquisition as well. So I think that's, what's throwing me for a loop is that it exists in two places. I'm not sure I've ever seen a codex happen in multiple games that has the exact same text and the exact same name. 
That's a fair point. And I really do think about that. And I think that, I think it would be interesting if the Dalish did like say the second story a lot because Gilanon, at least for them, is the god, one of the gods that's closest to them. And because she was immortal. And I think her being so flippant with something that she created, like it, I think she she's not like, okay, yeah, like, well, I'll just kill them. That's fine. Let me have kill them and have power. I mean, there is like a sense of grief. You get that, you know, asking uh, to kill time, to kill the beasts of the land, not just saying like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But I don't think that that would fit with their worldview. But really. Yes, but she doesn't kill the Hala. The Hala is the one that she saves and gives to the elven people. Yeah, it's it's very fascinating to me. It's very interesting. Um, but I don't want us to spend the whole episode talking about an elven god when we're supposed to be talking about a creature. So I will cut us off here and we can go to the mid-break. Yes, that's right. I stopped you to tell you that I'm an idiot. Whew! Thank the maker you know already. Now I can stop worrying, I'll be found out. Do try to have fun, dear. You could have been one of the Chargers, Blackwall. You've got the stature, the attitude. And you'd be my boss. Hey, I'm a great boss. I'm a firm believer in No Pants Fridays. I'd rather fight for a cause. Hey, No Pants Fridays is a cause. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that have to do with the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. And so it's this time that I thank our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons. And thank you especially to our first patrons, Lisa M, Genesis, and Derek B. And also a very, very special thank you to Nug King Lewis H, who gets read out on every episode of the show. If you would like to join us on Patreon, you can find that link in the episode description. You can join us on all kinds of tiers. Base tier, which gets you ad-free in early episodes, all the way up to coming on the show with us and being on our patron chat, which is what we had last week. And it's a lot of fun and we greatly appreciate that. Another great way to support us is to leave us ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple. If you leave us five stars with some words, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. And Shelby, we have a review to read today. So this review comes from none other than the Wesbotron. You might recognize that name. He is one of our patrons, one of our illustrious patrons. So the Wesbotron says, is swooping really bad? Five stars. Hey guys, can't believe I haven't written this yet. I've been listening since I believe episode two or three and have loved it ever since. My ADHD brain could never sit still long enough to read the codex entries. Both Shelby and Austin are great hosts and make each episode entertaining. They've created a wonderful community, which is great considering the external Dragon Age fan back fan base is very toxic. So to be able to have healthy discussions amongst them and the, their community is wonderful. Thank you so much, Wesbo. We love you. Yes, thank you. And you are a great part of our community as well. And so speaking of our community, I want to invite you to join our Discord server, the Cups Podcasting and More. It is Shelby's favorite place on the internet. It is my favorite place on the internet. And we just really love having people there. We talk about all kinds of podcasts. 
the podcast that we host and we talk about games random stories share pictures of the dogs it's just a great place to be uh, if you want to come hang out with us you can find that link in the episode description you can also find us on the robots radio discord where you can hang out with us in our various channels there and also find some amazing podcasts that are part of the robots radio network and so that's amazing there and that's all i got for you all right well let's get back to it beg that i succeed for I have seen the throne of the gods, and it was empty. Your glibness does you no credit. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So, we just finished talking about the Codex entries with Gilanon. And at the end of the day, for our discussion here, I don't think it really... Not, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what Gilanon's origins are... But I don't think that we'll be able to come to an answer. But what is clear is that regardless of her origins, whether she actually created the Hala or became the first Hala, it's clear that elves and Hala are uniquely tied to one another. And, you know, I kind of laughed earlier when you said it's similar to the way that that Ferelden and Mabari are tied to one another because I actually had that in my notes right now. Um, and I think you're right that it, it is very similar um, in, in a comparative way. Now, I also brought another quote from another codex. This is a codex heavy episode today, but I think that this codex quote just tells you everything you need to know about the Hala. And I, I wanted to, to read it and not necessarily summarize it. So this is what it says. The first thing you must understand about the Hala is that they are not our servants. They are not our pets. They are our brothers and sisters. Remember that Gilanon, the first Hala and mother of them all, was once a huntress of the people. Without the Hala, there would be no Dalish. The second thing you must understand about the Hala is that you cannot force a Hala to do something against her will. I have heard tales of Shemlin who come across herds and attempt to capture the Hala using ropes and bridles. Many Shemlin have died, impaled on horns as a result of this foolishness. Never forget that the Hala once bore our knights into battle. The fierce blood of a warrior still runs through her veins, and she would sooner fight to the death than demean herself. Like the Dalish, the Hala are proud. A Hala knows who she is and will tolerate no being that tells her she is less. I really like that because, and you very much see this from like a cultural perspective, the Hala represent the way the Dalish see themselves in contrast to how the world sees and treats them. Yes, 100%. It's very true. And that that places them on, in my opinion, on a bigger cultural and theological pedestal than the Evanuris ever will be. Mm. But they are still intimately connected with the Evanuris. Right. True. I think I think another important thing to remember about the Hala, though, is they still have the Hala. They don't have Elvenon. They don't have Arlathon. They don't even have their full, like, 
theological arsenal. They don't even know everything about the Evanuris, but they still have the Hala and they still have their legends about the Hala and they still have everything that the Hala can give to them and provide them food and clothing and sustenance. And I think that you're right. That is really significant. Um, and I think from, this may be a little atheistic of me, but to me, the Hala have given them more than the Evanuris ever have. In fact, I think you can argue that the Evanuris have taken away more than any other anything from the Dalish. Even so much as to, if we go back to that second myth about Gilanon, the Evanuris wanted her to get rid of all of her creatures, including the Hala, but she refused and did not get rid or kill the Hala because they were like the best of her creatures. And so you could even argue that the Evanuris wanted the Dalish to not have Hala. Um, so I think, I think that that's really significant. And I think that, so there's a common I promise I'm going somewhere with this. There's a common misconception among North American indigenous tribes that they either like worship like animals or they worship nature or anything like that. And that's not really true, mainly because you can't say natives worship this because every tribe is different and has their own belief system. But second is that in most of them, Nature is a means in which they connect to either the great spirit or another bigger divine being that embodies them. And that is the animals or the things that they pray, they're praying through them versus praying to them. Yeah. And I think that the Hollis serve a similar place in here in the Dalish culture. But I also think it's more than that because of it, the, their relationship with the Hala goes beyond just general respect. The Hala are venerated, which from a religious perspective would argue that the Hala are as much gods to them as the Evanuris are, mm. which I don't think a Dalish person would ever say that. But I think in practice, from an outside perspective, it can appear that way. Yeah, I think this goes back to the form versus function conversation we've had about many things in the lore. Mm -hmm. The form of the Hala is not as a god. It is as uh, an animal that lives alongside the Dalish. But functionally, the Hala function as something that are so sacred in elven Dalish lore that they have essentially ascended to godhood, almost like Gilanon did. Right. And like, we come to a point of there are things that were sacred that often when you're seeking to wipe out a culture or commit a cultural genocide, you hit that as well. And so whether or not Taventer tried, which you could argue based on some of our earlier facts, that Taventer did try to eradicate the Hala through some other things, but they cared for them so much that the hollow are still around and not only still around, but they, they're not endangered. Mm -mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one more quote and then we can talk about where they come from or where we see them in game. So, and this is a quote from Felison, who is an, who is a character in the masked empire 
And this is what he says. We rode the Hala. They leapt with such grace and beauty as to make your horses look like Ferelden dogs by comparison. They were smarter too, which often made them willful. And that's on page 202. And the reason why I selected that quote is for two reasons. Number one, because they do ride the Hala. We never have seen that in game, but they do ride them. Um, or they did at least. And so that's pretty significant. We also heard from a previous codex entry that they rode them into battle. But then the second thing that I wanted to mention is that because they are sm so much smarter than other animals like horses and dogs, they are willful. I think we often have an image of the Dalish as like, oh, they're the forest nymphs. They're just peaceful and they live in the forest and they gather their herbs and they have their cute little deer that are cute and nice and mythical and all that. But this suggests that they are maybe not as innocent as they look, that they have personalities, that they have wills of their own. And if they don't want to do something you're asking them to, they're not going to do it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that we have that view, but that's not really even the view that's presented to us in game when we interact with the Dalish. Like, one, so let's start from the, from the beginning. There's very much a fear of the unknown and things that you shouldn't interact with. When you play the Dalish origin and you go looking through that uh, um, Alluvian, then they're not happy with you about, like, why are you messing with stuff that shouldn't be messed with? Um so there's that. Furthermore, if we look at Zathrian and Zathrian's Dalish clan, there are several Dalish people who have a very vengeful streak and a very like, these people have wronged us, we need to take vengeance against them, which does not fit the peaceful village forest nymph view either. Furthermore, when we go back, if you have if you have brokered peace with the Dalish and you get into day into DA2, you can encounter a Dalish person confronting some humans who wants to kill them, even though they're not werewolves anymore. And you can talk her down or kill her or kill the humans or do whatever. And then lastly, we kind of see just that they're not really that peaceful because they they live in a way of like they have to protect themselves. And you see that a lot in how the mistrust of outsiders, the Dalish clan and Inquisition gives you. Like even if you are a Dalish elf inquisitor, you do not gain trust with that clan in the Dales. So I think that's just us projecting our own preconceived fantasy tropes onto the Dragon Age universe instead of actually looking at what is presented to us in games and in lore. Yes, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that it's easy for us to take that kind of view of them. And when it comes specifically to the Hala, you know, I don't think we ever see them having that kind of willful personality. Um, so I think that that also adds to that perception. But anyway, let's talk about where they appear in some of the games. So we have a few quests that involve Hala. So in Origins, we have a quest called Elora's Hala, 
And so in this quest, the warden can help in examining Ahala believed to be stricken with the werewolf curse. If you successfully calm the Hala down, it's revealed that the Hala is not actually afflicted with the werewolf curse. Instead, that she's upset because her mate has been infected. Now, I've never, I've played Origins like so many times and I have never been able to do this. I think you have to have some kind of, it's a skill that we never spec because we don't really need it. I think it's survival is the skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it has to be a really high level, I think. Um, but so that's the first time I think we really get introduced to the Hala. And that is in Origins. So in Inquisition, we have another quest. And we've already talked about this clan. And this is the Dalish clan in the Exalted Plains. So if you talk to the hunter of that clan, whose name is Ethereum, he tells you about a golden Hala who is somewhat mythical. This golden Hala is named Hanel Gilan, and it is said that she visits the Dalish when they are in times of great need. Now, Ethereum believes that this Hala is wandering around the Exalted Plains. And in truth, you can find this golden Hala, whether it's just a plain, regular golden Hala, or if it's a mythical creature named Hanukalan, that is up for the player to decide. Um, it is never stated clearly. But to finish the quest, you do have to herd the golden Hala to the clan. Um, so that's an Inquisition. Do you have thoughts about that quest? Yeah, I just got one thing. So by the time I get to the Exalted Plains, I am no longer taking Solus in my party, typically. Sure. Because I sub him out for Dorian or Vivian or some other mage makeup or whatever. Have you ever been, has he ever been present with you when you've done this quest? I am going to be really honest. I've only done this quest like once or twice because I hate riding on horseback in Inquisition and maneuvering the horse to get to herd the hollow is just a pain in the butt. So I don't ever do it. You can herd it on foot. I'm never fast enough to do that. Hmm. All right. Well, I would just be curious, any commentary that he says, maybe I'll look up to see if there's a video of it or something. Yeah. Or look it you, up and post it in the discord. Yeah. Or if you know, let me know, because I would be curious what he says about this golden hala. And I don't recall if Solus ever even mentioning the hala. I, yeah, I don't either. I know that he has some extra dialogue um, that you can call on him when you're talking to the clan, but I don't think anything in this quest specifically. All right, that was my only real thought about it, other than like, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the only quest that's worse than this one is where the Druffalo roam. <laughs> Anyway, so the last thing I want to talk about before I get into the side character is an interesting phenomenon that we see in Inquisition. And this phenomenon is the golden, or not golden, the hollow statuettes in Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts. So this is in Orlais. This is like the seat of power in Orlais. And Empress Selene has these hollow statuettes throughout the winter palace and you can pick them up and there's a little side quest and all of that it makes me wonder 
there are a lot of things I wonder about this, the existence of the Hala statuettes, right? Like is Celine, is she the one that created these statuettes? Did she do this because of her relationship with Briala? If so, that's a little tokenizing and weird, I think, number one. But we don't know if she's the one that created them or not. Number two, if she's not the person that created this hollow statuette thing all over the place, it could it be they're just there because they're in Halam Sharal and that's a place where there are a lot of elves, right? Or could it be that the Hala has also become a symbol of something to Orlesian nobility? What are your thoughts? So, so at best, it's tokenizing. <laughs> At worst, it's appropriation. <laughs> right. Right. Not good options. Um, I think that honestly, so it is in Alam Sharal, and I think this is important to know. We don't really know how much of that castle is Orlesian and how much of it is Elven. That's true. That's and true. maybe these doors are Elven are artifacts mm. and that's where these hollow statues are connected and the orlesian royal family and the orlesian nobles have just used them as a way to keep areas of the castle more secluded but they served some other purpose and placing the hollow statues was a way to open them that's a really good thought and i think that bioware should hire you well you know corinne i'm, I'm here <laughs> um no i think that that's a really interesting um idea and i think that it could be possible i also think though that it's risky because like what if somebody stole all of the statuettes it's obviously possible because the inquisitor does it even if they don't use any of them to open any of the doors they can just walk out with them and then what do they do they can't get into any of their doors but like I always I don't always do the holoquest mm-hmm. the door quest but I do always do it when I'm an inquisitor because I role play it as give me back my stuff when or you're an inquisitor yeah as a dalish inquisitor yeah. yeah no that's that's very fair I get that so I just wanted to bring that up because I was doing this research and I was like where else do we see hala oh yeah in the winter palace why do we have so many of them there it just really stuck out to me as odd yeah i definitely think that i think that a good opportunity would would really be to explore how much of orlesian architecture is actually orlesian versus elven architecture yeah i think the same can be said for tevinter yeah, and I think that would be very interesting to discuss, and especially like Holland Chiral, a place that is very, you know, Elven-centric. And it does look like the rest of Orlais, but I'm sure there are pieces of that somewhere. And who knows, maybe the ancient elves hunted Krogan, and that's how there's a Krogan head somewhere in the palace. Yeah, who knows? Um... That was one of Gillahan's creation was the Krogan. Oh my god. Gillanon created all of the Mass Effect species and all the species in Thetis. That's how we make it all work out. Yeah, That's how they're in the same universe. We We did did it. it. We did it. You're welcome, Bioware. Um, Okay. So do you have any other thoughts about the Hala before we move into our side character? No, I don't. 
Okay. So I'm really, really, really excited for our side character today. I feel like this is another side character that's been on our list for a long, long time. And I feel like this season, it's taken us to season four, but we're finally getting into all of the side characters that I have been the most excited about since day one, since we decided to do this podcast. So today our side character is Charter. Do you remember who Charter is, Austin? Yes, and it's not just because I can read the show notes, but I do remember Charter. Okay, good. So since you remember who Charter is, you would know that she is a spy in the Inquisition. And she's actually one of Liliana's most trusted spies, which we do see this later outside of Inquisition into Venter Nights. So we'll come back around to that. But... Charter becomes the commanding officer of Care Bronach in Crestwood, which is that fortress. Now, Charter is 100% not her real name. It's an alias, one of many that, that she's used, actually. She's actually a master of false identities. That's kind of her specialty. So we don't have an accurate guess of how many aliases she does have. Some of the ones we actually know of though include the black heart and that's who she was living as just before she joined the inquisition another one is molnir who was a double agent who revealed a conspiracy against the crown in hersinia and sonner and sonner was a person who stole a general's plans and walked out in broad daylight in markham so most of charter's life i think has been spent in the free marches um but we can first encounter her in haven and we we don't see a lot of her in inquisition there are no cutscenes with charter there are a few conversations and most of the information we have about her actually comes from like ambient dialogue so and we also interact with her a lot in Crestwood, specifically in Carebronach. She she gives us a few quests there, maybe just one or two. But she makes a lot, and I mean a lot, of appearances outside of Inquisition. She appears in the Mage Killer and Knight Errant comics. She appears in Trespasser, and she appears in Tevinter Knights. We'll see if she appears in the new Dragon Age comic that's coming out in February called The Missing. Um, we'll see if she shows up in that. But let's let's look at what she does in each of the comics so far. So in Mage Killer, Charter is the person who recruits Tessa for Scythia and Marius into the Inquisition. As we know, they are a mage assassin duo from Tevinter. We covered Tessa on our Navara episode. And so when Charter meets Tessa and Marius, they are being celebrated by a village for freeing said village from the rule of a tyrannical mage. Tessa and Marius's interaction with Charter is intense and awkward because they don't really want to join the Inquisition. But they do. And eventually, Tessa and Charter enter into a romantic relationship with one another. Now, Charter is also the person who sends Tessa and Marius along with Sutherland's company to clear a route for the Inquisitor's reinforcements in the Arbor Wilds. In Trespasser, Charter attends the Exalted Council at the Winter Palace, and specifically she guards the Inquisitor's stuff. 
Now, if if Liliana was not made divine, Charter is given more and more responsibilities by Liliana in an effort to prepare Charter to be her successor. If she's not divine, she prepares her to be her successor? Yes. yes. Yeah. Wouldn't it make sense if she was divine? To well, if she's not divine, she's not working with the Inquis Inquisition anymore. I guess that's true. So... Um, I think it's possible that if she is divine, that she makes Charter her left hand, which would be extremely controversial given that Charter is an elf. Yes. But anyways, so in Night Errant, Vea and Charter, they meet each other after Vea commits a theft. I love Vea, by the way. Charter offers Vea a deal. Join the Inquisition and rescue Marius and Tessa from before, and the Inquisition will deal with the consequences of Vea's thieving. Charter is still dating Tessa at this point. Now, obviously, Vea takes this deal because she's kind of in between a rock and a hard place. But at the end of this graphic novel, Charter learns that a very important piece of red lyrium has already made its way to Tevinter. And this ties directly into the last and final place that we've seen Charter so far. And that is in Tevinter Nights and specifically the very last chapter titled The Dread Wolf Take You. Now, I know I have talked about this chapter ad nauseum on this podcast, but I think if there's one thing so far that has been released, if there's one thing that you should read before Dragon Age Dreadwolf comes out, it is the last chapter of Tevinter Nights. You don't really have to read the other chapters before you read that one. Um, I think you should. Tevinter Nights is great, but you've got to read the last chapter. Now, so this is what happens. Charter calls a meeting of Thetis' best spies to share information about Solus and his associates. Now, before I go any further... There are spoilers for this chapter in what I'm about to say. So if you want to read it and not be spoiled, turn off the episode. If you don't care about being spoiled, fine, listen to the rest of the episode, but still go read the chapter. Okay, so the associates that are gathered around the table are a Carta assassin, a Mortalitasi, an executor, and an Orlesian bard. They meet with her in Hunter Fell. The assassin, the mortalitasi, and the bard claim that Solus's target is the lyrium idol from Dragon Age 2. After this is revealed, they all begin accusing one another of lying. The executor never says a word. Charter realizes pretty quickly that Solus himself is sitting at the table. Solus is playing the bard. He's wearing a blonde wig, which I desperately want to see. And he's turned the executor to stone without a word and without a touch, with only a touch. Charter then begs for her life and he spares Charter, but only because she's figured it out and only because of respect for the Inquisitor. He then kills the Carta assassin and the Mortalitasi mage. Charter attempts to convince Solus that his plan is unnecessary and that he doesn't have to go through with it. But Solus says he must and that it will save the world 
and that the elves that still remain, like Charter, may find it a better place. Charter says in response, there are people she cares for that wouldn't find Solus's world better. Solus then, at the end, asks Charter to apologize to the Inquisitor for him. And that's the end of Tevinter Nights. Interesting. Thoughts? So I have one thought, one singular thought. Only one about all of Charter? Because I think there is a playthrough or a, a situation that we haven't really thought of yet. Well, I guess we might have touched on it a little bit. What if Solus succeeds in what he's doing, but our way out happens to be through the research of a certain Taventer Magister named Alexius. And we have to use time magic okay. to go back and go back to a point of stopping Solus. But maybe perhaps Solus going through this and seeing exactly the results of what he was doing results in him realizing that he has to undo it. And it's through Solus's help that we're they're able to do time magic because Solus's whole deal is tearing down the veil and the theory is is that they can do time magic because the veil is weakened well if the veil is gone does time even really exist then so in this scenario Solus would automatically be on the side of the main character in Dreadwolf Eventually, no, I'm saying that there's a point in Dreadwolf where the really big plot twist would be that, like, if you play through, like, the first introduction to the things, like, take Inquisition through Haven, and at the end of that introduction point, you're, like, going to stop Solus, and you're like, what? It's only, like, a third of the way of the game. How can this be the end? And he succeeds, and then the rest of the game is going back and trying to stop the things because you realize trying to undo it that's interesting that's a really interesting thought i don't think it's impossible um going back to charter though another thing that i wanted to say i didn't put this in the notes so there's an ambient conversation that you can overhear when you're in haven and it's with an elf and like a human man and they're talking about him basically he's being prejudiced toward elves and the elf that's in that conversation is charter Oh, I didn't know that. I'll have to listen next time. So do you have any other thoughts about Charter? Um, I hope we do see more of Charter. I think it's likely that we're going to see more of Charter, especially since she got a story where she interacts with Solus directly. And I also think it's important that she's the only one really outside of the main Inquisition advisors and party and Harding who actually have interactions with Solus. Yeah, I think it's very possible we get Charter as a companion in the next game. I very much want an elf's elf, like, in the next game as a companion. And what I mean by that is we haven't had an elf companion who's, like, a Dalish elf since Meryl. She's the only one other than Valana from Awakening who has ever really been, like, a real Dalish elf. Um, you know... Zevran is a city elf. 
Sarah hates elves. <laughs> Solus is a Dalish elf, or Solus is an ancient elf. So, you know, I really want another elf's elf, like a person who doesn't hate themselves, a person from Thetis. Um, I think that would that would be a good move. And I think Charter could be that person in the next game for sure. I also think she could be an advisor, though. Also an elf that's in good standing with their clan. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the player character. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think that, like, it would be nice to have an elven character who is not, like, woe is... I know Sarah's not really, like, this way, but, like, my life sucks, and so everything else sucks around me. I mean, she kind of is that way, though. Right. She's just not, like... She's not, like, complaining about it all the time. Sarah is very much like, my life sucks, so, you know, screw the rest of y'all. Yes, very much. Um, and Meryl is kind of like, I'm going to be, like, toxic positivity. <laughs> My life sucks, but I'm going to pretend to be happy about it. Yeah, that's not, you're not wrong. Um, So that's Charter. Do you have any other thoughts before we wrap it up? No. All right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Vault Dwellers, join me, Jax's sassy lady Romer, Eric, and the creator, Maverick, as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it, using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using FalloutRTD at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started.